0: Welcome to the Butter Chicken Podcast, hosted by DJ Shirai and DJ Juicy. Ooh. We focus on the stories of individuals
1: who are making great impact in society and culture. The Butter Chicken experience is well-cooked, thought-provoking conversation. Thank you for tuning in, and enjoy the vibes. You got the cool stuff.
0: Yes, 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 party people, New York City and worldwide. It's your boy, DJ Sherrod.
1: And DJ Juicy, baby.
0: Juicy. Hunji. What's good? Chilling, man. Welcome back. Another week, man.
1: Another week, man. Excited. Excited as always, you know.
0: You excited? I am. I'm excited today too.
1: You know, I I there's this We're uh, continuing this tradition. I know. It's uh and it's it's just keeps on getting more and more refreshing every time I feel. It's like it's brand new every time. It's not, you know, sometimes you do things over and over again and you get tired of it and repetitive. But this is definitely something that I look forward to every week.
0: To all our listeners checking in, you are now checked into the Butter Chicken Podcast. We do this podcast every single week. We stream on all podcasting platforms. And the reason why we really do this is to shed light on people who are doing big things in culture and society. Some people you may have heard of, some you may have not. But when you leave every, every episode, we want to make sure you learn something. And most importantly, we want to make sure the listeners are inspired. And just based on DM and emails that we've been getting every single week, mm-hmm. the feedback has been tremendous. I don't know if your DMs popping like that.
1: It's, it's popping, but more so it's like when I'm at events, people come up to me and be like, yo, the butter chicken thing is crazy, bro, like... I'm listening to all the episodes, I'm following you guys, and that's, like, real love. And then people will stop me and start talking to me about certain episodes and interviews and things like that. Um, and I wish I had more time to actually sit with them and, and really <laughs> jump into it, but um, it's definitely rewarding, man. And uh, I, you, you
0: know when I, when I knew this shit was popping?
1: When? When I was DJing a party in Jersey,
0: like, maybe a month ago. Okay. And a 17-year-old kid comes up with his dad to me okay. at a party. And he's like, yo, you're DJ Sherrod from the Butter Chicken Podcast. Wow. Yeah, real talk. Yeah. People were there, like some of our crew was there and they were like, yo, this shit is actually becoming a thing, man. So it's funny because we've we've come, we've done so much, right? We've started our DJ agency, which does really well. Mm -hmm. We do mixtapes. We do all these different things that people know us for. But I think this podcasting is something that is, it's so rewarding because we're telling the story of so many different
1: individuals, and to me it's like we're learning so much as we do it. Right, and and the the, the biggest thing, like you said earlier, was the inspiration and, and inspiring others and thinking outside the box, being South Asians and, and not feeling like you're in, confined to this one space or, or a couple of different spaces. So, you know, we with that, you know, I think that, um, we mentioned it previously, is being a journalist is something that's so new for us. And we want to bring more journalists on board to, to kind of explain their, you know, situations and stories. And with that, today we have a very special guest that I'd like to introduce. Hi. Executive editor at Genius, Insanal Ahmed. Welcome to the show, man.
2: Hey, welcome to the sh- Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> uh, you guys are doing something real cool, and I'm really uh, 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 privileged and honored to be here.
1: Thank you, man. It's, a, it's a definitely it's our privilege and our pleasure uh, to have you. Um... We're gonna just jump right into it, man. I, mm-hmm. I think that uh, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit, your story. So tell us about your background, where you're from, um, and kind of where you grew up, and and you know we'll just kind of ask you some questions along the way.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So yeah, my name is uh, Insanul. Uh, you know, I was born in uh, Bangladesh mm-hmm. in uh, in Sillet, and I moved to America when I was like ten months old. So I had no real memory of living in Bangladesh. And, uh, you know, we moved to New York, moved to the Bronx. And, uh, you know, I lived in the Bronx basically my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, yeah, I grew up in the Bronx. And, um, you know, well, I got to shout out my guy Syed, my guy, a.k.a. Sneezy La Familia. He hit me to this podcast. You know, I grew up with guys like him and, you know, my cousins and all these people. Um, you know, we grew up on 205th in the Bronx was like the last stop on a D train, Mm -hmm. like literally right by the train. Um, and you know, we grew up in the Bronx and you know, it was a, it was an interesting time.
1: What, what, what was your experience like being like a South Asian growing up in a predominantly, um, like Latin, African American, uh, Italian neighborhoods even? Yeah. Um, what was that
2: like? Yeah, you know that was that was an interesting thing too, because when I was a kid, there was a very small Bengali community like in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. and most of it was people I was like actually related to, mm-hmm. or and we all kind of knew each other. People like said like I knew his family, and you know we all kind of lived in like one, two, three buildings, and there's like a few people in the neighborhood. Um, and it's interesting because when I was a kid in the Bronx, in that particular part, it was actually very Irish when I when we wow. first first got there. It wasn't what super. What are Irish.
0: we talking like? This is, this, is so? late 80s. Late 80s. this is the late 80s
2: late 80s early 90s and I remember as a kid there were a lot of bars in the neighborhood mm-hmm. but as the years went by there were all those bars that like, kind of shut down like Irish pubs you know types right. and those all kind of shut down and it became more Hispanic um, but now when I go to that neighborhood it's, it was like totally Bengali like it's, it's almost, really yeah it's like Parchester like it's, it's not quite like there but it's getting there wow um, but yeah like growing up it was tough because we was I, everywhere I went and I, every room I was kind of in that I wasn't with like my family or, you know, or at home or something. Especially when I started going to school and stuff, you know, I was basically the only brown person right. in every room I went into. And you kind, you know, you f- you felt that outsiderism even from the beginning. And I, th- I think I still carry that. Hmm.
0: S- interesting. Yeah. You you say you still carry that?
2: Oh yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: That's that's um that's an interesting statement because there's some that say now like you could walk around and just blend in no matter who you are because everything is so connected. And then I've talked to others that also share that sentiment that say, look, I still feel a little bit like an outsider.
2: Well, you know what I'm well, actually, I mean that in a more personal sense In that growing up, I got used to the idea of being an outsider. And it was kind of like, well, he's not like us. And I kind of took that mentality of like, you know what? Y'all not like me. Uh, and even when I go in rooms with br- brown people or not Or whatever It's like you know what yeah, We're not the same I am different And uh, you know I think having a name like Insanul Where again even like from the first time people meet me It's like a difficult name to pronounce um, You know a lot of people try to skate around it Like oh can we give you an-? And like even when I was a kid People try to give you a nickname Like a white nickname or something Like mm-hmm. no my no. name is Insanul There is no I'm not <laughs> If you know me you could call me Ins right. But you gotta learn Insanul before you can get to that right um but yeah i think um that feeling of um kind of being different from everyone is something that still kind of is a part of my psyche for sure
1: um it's it's interesting that you were able to embrace that now was that something that came like later on in your adult life or was it something that you found like as a child or in your adolescence that like i'm different than everybody i'm gonna accept it and i'm just gonna move forward and, and live my life as as this individual or was it well, I'm I'm like this, I'm brown or desi at home, but when I'm outside of my house, I'm identifying with my friends who are African American or white. Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was a struggle growing up and mm-hmm. that was a big kind of balancing thing. And it, you know, it's interesting too like I said cuz then I would be with my family and, you know, even from an early age, I was very into rap music. I was always into music in general, but rap specifically. Mm-hmm. And my family is like, you're acting too black. You're talking like a rapper. You listen to this. You dress, you want to dress like this. So even in that, I was kind of the outsider in that kind of way. Right. So like I said, like in, no matter which way you kind of slice it, there was that kind of thing. and. You know, I struggled with that at times growing up, and I think as I got older, I kind of got more comfortable with myself.
1: Did you see, like, the community around you evolve? You mentioned, like, when you had first moved there, you'd you'd see a lot of Irish pubs and things mm-hmm. like that, and then later on, more of a Hispanic community, but was it, like something that you were mindful of during that time or is it something that you thought about later in your adult life like hmm.
2: Like- oh yeah absolutely i mean that was something I, I think the racial aspect of it was the thing not just i think as mostly as a minority especially right um i think especially i remember when i first went to college i went to hunter college okay uh in the city and i started making friends and uh, going to class and i was like yeah you know what these I have friends who are like white friends and then it kind of occurred to me like I didn't really know that many white people growing up Mm -hmm. and like I said when I was a little little kid I remember there were some like white kids in our class and then after like maybe like third grade or something like that like every single class I was in was basically all minorities there were no actual white students and if they were white they were like European immigrants from like you know, I mean, literally, we had someone in the building from, like, Kosovo. Like, that was, like, a right. whole thing at that time. Um, they were, like, Eastern European immigrants. So, and a lot of Albanians. They used to be Albanians in neighborhoods like mm-hmm. that. So, um, that was a thing that definitely occurred to me um, as a kid and growing up and watching those dynamics evolve over time. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, also, like, growing up in the Bronx in, you know, what was you know it wasn't super super duper impoverished but it was you know it wasn't a a thriving neighborhood so to speak but um you noticed that too as especially as i got older that became clear to me the sort of differences between poor people and rich people
1: right and you've mentioned that you were very much into rap music and that was kind of something Mm -hmm. that that your family wouldn't really agree with Mm -hmm. was that because of like the friends that you were you were with or the friends you had or was it because of of influence from the radio and things like that?
2: Oh, it was definitely the like just the cursing and stuff like that, okay. which I kind of understand. You know, rap rap music has a ton of cursing in it, right? Um, so and, that
1: attracted you, like the vulgarity of it, it kind well, of. Oh, attra-
2: well, I I think that's what turned my parents off. Okay. I don't think that's specifically what attracted me. Okay, um, but um, that is definitely what sort of scared my parents off the cultural aspect of it. But like I said, the flip side of that too is when I, even when I was young, I remember like going to school and like talking about rap, and and you know even the kids in the class, like the black kids. So the Spanish kids be like, Oh, you don't know rap, you just you just an Indian kid, like right. trying to put it down. So, like I said, no matter where I went, it was kind of like the outsider, a, or like you, a you constant United. struggle. And you in
1: yeah. any so and you grew up in the Bronx, mm-hmm. where did you go in uh, to uh, t- high school? Was it also in the Bronx? No, I
2: actually, I went to high school. In high school, I think these things started to change. Is I went to A. Philip Randolph, and it's um, it's in Harlem, okay, it's right on 135th Street in Convent, uh, it's across the street from uh, City College, okay. Um, and I think in high school, that stuff started to change because. Then I started really embracing the music and I think it became a part of like my persona in like people knew me for music where like I would make mixtapes and like sell it in school. And I was a dude who actually like had all the like the, the latest song because, you know, I was downloading them on Kazaa sure. or whatever it was like that. Um, and I also when I was in high school, I started rapping. Um, and I used to like battle rap kids and lunch and stuff. And I was, you know, I was, I was you know, I wasn't <laughs> bad. Um, uh, and, and then I spent, and then I got really into like writing raps. Um, but I didn't like actually rapping. I like the physicality of rapping. Right. Was, I realized how difficult it was. Uh-huh. Um, but like people kind of knew me for music. Um, and then, you know, so you it,
0: made a little name for yourself just because you were really into the culture.
2: Yeah. I mean, literally my name is from that's like, you know, I said like my, my handle on socials and stuff is uh, insulin. Um, and that's how, you know, one of my friends, shout out to my friend, uh, Jonathan Emiliano. Um, he was like he was like the first kid I met that like actually was trying to be a rapper. We were like freshmen in school mm-hmm. um, Talking and, in high school. Yeah, in high school. OK. Um, And he was like super into it. And um, we 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 became fast friends because we were both super into music and specifically rap music. And, you know, I would I would we would talk about music all day and um he would like write a lot of raps but he wasn't that good at it i mean you know he was a young kid and he was just trying to learn but um you know he would come to me like yo i got this rap check it out and i'd be like and at first i was like wow you know how to rap that's pretty cool mm-hmm. and then after a little while i was like you know bro you got to try harder like you, you know it's the same shit you did and then one day he just got kind of frustrated he was like yo man you always say my shit is whack let me see you do it and i was like oh damn i don't i don't I said, I, I said, let me try it yeah um and then you know i wrote some stuff and he was like oh damn you're kind of good at this like you know what I mean so um that's kind of when I got into it and then I started like we started having ciphers in school and I started rapping and like I noticed it was getting a lot of attention like all of a sudden everybody at the table was like oh what's this guy doing so and that was kind of cool I was like oh shit and you know and you
0: and you didn't have you didn't have the look of a typical rapper right 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 Right? the brown skin alone is like yeah. <laughs> you're, you're automatically like you're not cut out for this
2: yeah yeah definitely and you know it was an interesting time too because what year are we talking this is like 2001 2002 okay. and it was an interesting time because
0: that's 50 out Eminem well this is, this is right before right, right before right, the right Eminem time. was out but yeah. what,
2: who was big at that time is Jin okay. he was oh, that yeah, Asian yeah, yeah. rapper that was, yeah he was he go was ahead. on 106 in Park and we yeah, would all yeah, go yeah. home and watch it so that was kind of a cool thing to see and you know M was big at that time and then 8 Mile came out and like you know we were like battling like that made it even cooler to battle we were already were you doing.
0: rhyming over shook ones like they did in eight months <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I might have i definitely had the shook ones instrumental and like uh, you know i definitely try to probably one of the be. best
0: instrumentals of all time oh it's
2: gotta person. be it's gotta be
1: uh going to high school in, in harlem growing up in the bronx coming from a, a, a bengali household mm-hmm. i'm sure your parents had some sort of a vision of what your future was like mm-hmm. in terms of your career um, and I think that uh, most dacies can can kind of relate to this, you know, engineer, lawyer, doctor. Yep. Uh, is it was that is that accurate? Yeah, my
2: dad was definitely an engineer, and he wanted me to be an engineer. Um, that was even somebody of the appeal of, like going to Philip Randolph, it was but like had an engineering kind of program or okay. something like that. So yeah.
1: So at at what point did you know that you wanted to become a journalist?
2: Uh, you know. That's actually a, <laughs> well, as you're going to see as I go through the story, there's a lot of controversial moments in this. So yeah, what happened was, um, you know, I was in school and, um, I was writing a lot and yeah, like I said, I got into rapping, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I got into writing rap because I liked to then just spend a lot of time writing, but I realized I wasn't that, like when I tried to record rapping, I was like, wow, it's really hard to rap. Right. Um, which is appreciation that I still carry now when I write about rap, I realize how hard it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um... And uh, at a certain point, um, they started a school newspaper when I was a junior in high school. And um, there was a teacher that I was really cool with, Ms. Boost, um, And she was, like, kind of heading it up. And she asked me to write some stuff. And she asked me to write anything I wanted. And I was like, you know, I'll write album reviews. Like, that's what I was into at that time. And, um, you know, I, I remember I think the first piece I wrote, I wrote a review of, like, Jay-Z's Black Album. Like, mm-hmm. that was the year that came out. Oh, three? Yeah, I guess it was 03, yeah, so um, I think, yeah, I was a junior in high school, and wrote about that album, It's cool, and then it was kind of cool, like, it got printed, and I got to see it, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, but I wasn't super-duper into that, you know, Mm. like, this is going to be the thing, and, um, you know, the next year when I was a senior, uh, an interesting thing happened at our school, Um, basically... The Board of Ed did some stuff, and, like, the school was just overcrowded. It went from a school that had, like, 1,500 kids to suddenly it had 2,500 kids. Wow. Um, and the school was just packed, and it was just a huge, huge problem. And, you know, when I came back my senior year, they're like, look, we're doing the newspaper again. We want you to write something. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write about, like, this school is too overcrowded, and this is a huge problem, and this is ruining our futures. Right. Um, <laughs> wow. I mean, and, I yeah, okay. I, I wrote a piece about it, and there was a new principal, too. That was the other thing. We came back, and no one knew the principal had, like, over the summer quit, and the new principal come. And the principal saw the thing And he locked up like a thousand pages A thousand uh, newspapers And like, you know, would not let them be released Um, Wow Yeah, and I was, you know, at the time I was like, damn, maybe I should like sue the school or something. And I thought about it, but you know, I was a senior at the time and I had a lot of stuff going on. Um, and I was just like, whatever. I kind of let that go. I kind of, re- I kind of regret doing letting that go. But um, at the same time, when I when I did get to college and I was trying to find a major, and I was like, I don't want to be a fucking engineer. Like this is not for me. Right. Um, but then I thought about. It, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'd be a good journalist if I really got this type of reaction. Um, and like I said, even even before that, like some of the pieces that I wrote. You know, I wrote a piece like the Jay Z. Black blackout review and a lot of my friends came up to me and it was like yo i read what you wrote but i don't agree and they kind of and that was cool because i like to argue and i like to debate and that was cool <laughs> right um but then at the end of that year there was like a school um like talent show kind of thing and i wrote a review of that and i and so it was some of my friends too i was like yo this shit is not good they were not good <laughs> and the people were like they were really mad the people right. were so like you heard some feelings i heard a lot of a lot of feelings a <laughs> lot a lot of feelings with that one and but then i kind of realized like the pen is the pen is kind of powerful and you could really get to people with this so um that kind of made me think like maybe this is kind of good for me and um yeah when i started learning a little about a little bit about journalism because the other thing that like when i was a kid like people would say like you should be a lawyer mm-hmm. but when i was a kid i just and i still do like to argue like i find it fun mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> yep. I really do um but you know i'm, I'm a little less like that now <laughs> um but um Juicy wait.
0: and I argue all the time. <laughs> oh, like, so you could join us in any yeah, way. I, I can't
2: wait. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was like uh, I, liked, I liked to do that. And, but I realized like maybe the law kind of thing is the way to do it. Journalism is a way to make an argument about a case and like about an issue or a subject and things like that. So the more I learned about it, the more I got into it. And it felt like it fit my personality mm. as well as like my skill set.
1: Right. So that so that you have that revelation kind of in college. Yeah, of, yeah, or prior to, get to college, mm-hmm. like that transition period, mm-hmm. um, and now you've made the decision that I want to pursue journalism in college. Mm-hmm. Was there any sort of like pushback from your parents at that point, or were they supportive?
2: I think at that point they were supportive. Um, you know, some of this stuff too. Um, I think my dad is a really big news junkie as well you okay. know um, and I think some of that might be influenced by it too for you know I've just been being a kid like my dad reading the New York Times every day and like telling me like you should read the newspaper and you know he comes home from work and he wa- you know he works like really early in the mornings and he'll come home in the afternoon and he'll just watch like MSNBC CNN and he'll even watch a little Fox just to see what's on it like for like <laughs> but he watches news for like six hours a day you know right. what I mean so I think they were kind of into it um, but they saw it as like I was going to be like a washington times reporter covering the white house or something like that Understood. you know like i was gonna be Fareed zakaria or something <laughs> <laughs> uh, although i do love Fareed zakaria dope. um yeah. but um yeah and you know what the truth is even when i was getting into it um it, it's funny too because like i said when i was in high school i had a lot of stuff going on and it was why i didn't want to fight you know getting the newspaper banned um but um at that time too i was in, i interned at universal records um and that was kind of cool but um, when I actually, it was like a marketing internship, and I realized ma- marketing is not for me. Mm-hmm. But I also realized like corporate shit kind of sucks. Like I didn't, I didn't, I liked the experience, but I saw why it was whack too, mm-hmm. um, and why working at a label was like maybe not for me either. So at that time, I was going into that like, yeah, I'm the music guy. I'm gonna work in the music industry. It would make a lot of sense. And I was like, yo, this shit is this not making sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was getting into journalism, I didn't really think music journalism was a good idea. I thought, man, I should just be a just a general journalist because it's a lot more jobs and just being a journalist and being specifically a music journalist um but what one things that happened was and this is a pretty pivotal thing for me too is um when I was in I think my second or third year of college I interned at Vibe um at Vibe magazine this is like 2007 Mm -hmm. um and that really kind of put me on a trajectory to where I'm at now um because you know I got there and you know I'm sorry. Uh, I got there and I had, you know, I, had, I was still a young guy. I had a lot to learn, but I hit it off with some of the editors there. Um, and, you know, at that time, the editor in chief was Daniel Smith, but I really got along really well with this guy named John Caramonica, who at that time was the music editor. He's currently the music, he's the pop editor at the New York Times. And he actually left um, Vibe around that time and joined the Times. And he's been there for like the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I met John at that time and he really took me under his wing and showed me a lot of love and, um, he actually helped me get published in like one of the first, when I was interning there, so I actually got published in Vibe. It was like just a little sidebar, but it was like, oh, snap, like, you know, I'm in a really big magazine. Right. Um, and like when my parents saw that, they were like, wow, like like they even knew they knew what Vibe was, like Vibe was big your enough. Your parents
0: knew what Vibe was?
2: You know, they were like, I saw your magazine on the, you know, my mom takes the train and she sees those little, like, the cards. Right, and that's cards. your magazine, it's like, right? Oh, yeah, isn't that the one you wrote in it? Yeah. So even my mom saw that and she kind of understood that.
1: Um, The light bulb, they got it at that point Yeah, exactly What was that blurb about?
2: Uh, It was actually about cash money So the cover story was Lil Wayne um, And I actually transcribed that interview Like as an intern um, And my man uh, BMI, uh, Benjamin Zingro. Uh, shout out to him. He just got married. He actually um, wrote the story, and it was an interview with Lil Wayne. And I wrote a sidebar about like some of the tragedies that have happened to Cash Money. You know, I think Manny Fr- Fresh's sister had died, and you know Lil Wayne had shot himself. And like it was just a, it was just kind of like a little thing about like all sort of the tragic mishaps, that, mishaps that happened to them um and it was it wasn't nothing it was like maybe 200 words or something but at that time it was like holy shit right you know it's a big I mean? deal yeah yeah, yeah just to deal. see
0: your name next to someone or just to be printed and yeah, yeah
2: yeah and it was a sidebar in the main story too right, so right. you know that was pretty cool
0: so you had said that kind of set it off for the, traje- the trajectory of where you're at now
2: yeah i mean and like i said like a lot of those people that worked there at that time you know because um towards the end of my internship john left and Sean Fennessy became the uh, music editor, and Sean Fennessy is currently the editor-in-chief of uh, The Ringer. Um, so he's still in the game, um, and, uh, you know, I remember this, my man uh, Jozen started working over there. I saw him, like, a few weeks ago. He works at. He used to work at Twitter, and he worked at the Daily News and a bunch of other places. Um, you know, Rob Kenner, Kenner was the editor-at-large. I ended up working with Rob. For, he was my editor-at-complex for a few years. So a lot of the people that I met at that time, I continue to still kind of run into and see and work with. Um, you know, there was someone who interned with me, this girl, Tracy Garrard. Um, Tracy is actually the co-host on Sway's morning show. So mm-hmm. it was, it was, that was like, oh wow. Like, you know, a lot I, of talent came yeah, from a, that. A lot of talent was there. Um, and then not only that, but I felt like I fit in over there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, these are like-minded people. And, you know, Shh, even sh- people sh- would be like, you're just like John, like you and him, are, you know. So like,
0: at that point it went beyond skin tone. It went beyond. hmm religion it went beyond cultural background more of like this love for the music and sort of the mindset of hey putting out great content at the time
2: yeah for sure although i will say at the same time you know that is something that also occurred to me which was like you know i was walking in there and even my friends thought this like this is vibe magazine you know and the editor-in-chief is was daniel smith who's a black woman but like all those guys john you know sean rob bmi they were all white dudes and I was like, damn, there's a lot of white people in this. <laughs> what I thought was, I, like, I thought the whole staff was gonna be black, you know. But it's also like not kind of, you know. Again, that's a learning experience, learning like how the things kind of shape out. Um, but again, when I actually talk to those guys, it's like, damn, these guys really love the music. Like you say, you know, like and like, yo, Rob Kenner, man, shout out to that dude because he's like a big white dude. Um, but I never met no one in my life that knows more about reggae than him. And he's not the type of dude you think knows a lot about reggae, you know, if you just saw him, you know what I mean? Um, But similarly, I'm probably not the guy you think knows everything about rap if if you just saw me. So it was definitely uh, a mix of that.
1: Incredible. So so Vibe was kind of what set it off for you. Mm -hmm. What was next after? Yeah, where
2: do
0: you go from
1: there?
2: Oh, so actually that was interesting too because like I said, even though I really enjoyed the experience of Vibe, I was really worried about you know, just the job prospects, and at that time, too, you know, it was I was kind of like a moth to the flame, because they're like, look, journalism jobs, there's fewer and fewer, and there's, and, you know, even before, you know, what you see now, where there's, I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, I think in the last 20 years, like, 250,000 journalism jobs have been lost You know in America Wow. Um, and so you know I And that was happening even before like the recession And things like that so I was worried about like You know my career prospects and I'm trying to think of it Like business wise so I was like Look you know the, the vibe thing was great but let me Try to do something like general You know news reporting and stuff like that And um, I ended up getting an internship At NBC um, And it was It was like cool but it was also awful because. How
0: old are you at this time?
2: This is like I think I, this is 2008 so I was like um, how what was that 20 like 2021
0: 20, One thing we like to just like to let our listeners know that it's so easy to say you want to be the guy doing this or you want to mm-hmm. be in this position but it's so hard to take the steps to get to that particular position mm-hmm. like most people will look at your title now and see where you work now and be like, that's that dude. But it's very hard to actually wake up every morning, work for little or no pay Mm -hmm. and do all the dirty work or work that you didn't necessarily want to do or work that you didn't come for and pick it up every day and do it for eight years, 10 years to finally earn the position that you've actually earned. Right. Mm -hmm. So part of what we do at Butter Chicken is to really hone in on the story. You said you worked at vibe then you interned you didn't have a, a, a was it a paying internship or no, no, none of my internships no, are paid imagine so non-paying internship at 20 years old right mm-hmm. and you're like you still got you got to put clothes on your back you gotta you gotta pay for shit and you're not getting paid but you're still doing it mm-hmm. listeners pay attention this is about the grind this is about the grind of a person who's really really working at this point and now when we get to 2018 we're gonna see what you're doing now so right, it's pretty right, cool right. cool in the story <laughs>
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, I will say this is the, I guess, the the darker part of the story because, um, you know, like I said, I was working at NBC. It was the local news. I was working under this guy named Gabe Pressman, who's a super legend. He passed away a few years ago, but he was, I mean, even when I worked him ten years ago, he was like seventy-eight at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was like the first reporter in America, like local news reporter. Um, But I mean, NBC was like dead last in the ratings. There, that whole company was like kind of struggling at the time and it was I just kind of saw like wow this this thing is falling apart and it and it also just sucked working there because they're even like the people who worked there were like we're covering stupid stories we're not really doing what we need we only have one camera crew it's just like it just didn't make any sense and it was a lot of ways the opposite of Vibe where it was like Vibe had a really thriving culture and I thought it was really cool and I felt like I fit in and I could talk to all these people you know NBC it was I mean I worked at 30 Rock so it was like this shit sucks right. you know what I mean wow. um, the only the only thing and the reason I remember was 2008 the only night of working there was incredible was on election night um, and you know we had to view right over the skating rink right out the office window and they had the the, the map the American map kind of set up and they mm-hmm. were turning them blue and red as like states were won and like it was the night that Obama won and it was the only night we actually produced something that actually got to run on the air that Gabe wrote and it was like really cool like that was like a really amazing moment but everything else was just like terrible Um, (laughs) wow and I was just like wow this sucks and then you know um and it was funny because I remember at that time there was one day where like Vibe had actually published something and all the guys in the office were talking about it they they called Eminem like the best rapper ever or something like that he won a poll or something like that and they were just kind of talking about it and I was like kind of wish I was there instead of here you know (laughs) um and then so anyway I was like yeah like that wasn't a great experience but it was it was cool and you know I learned some stuff um and then, you know, after that, I remember in my last semester in college, I got another internship and I interned at Kaplan. Um, and, you know, one thing for me, too, I was like, in my co- I wanted to work on my copy editing skills. And also I felt like this is a job, like there's a million jobs like this. Mm-hmm. Like if I work here, maybe I can turn that into a job right out of college or something like that. Um, but, again, that was a real tough place where, again, the work culture there was terrible. It was, it, you know, it was just, it, it wasn't terrible. Like, it was bad, but it was like the people were not cool. It wasn't that kind of. Yeah, I can't that, see uh, any cool people working. <laughs> <the job laughs> be, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's I just can't synergy. see it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, was, you know, it was worse than that because, you know, I had some, you know, i had a, someone was uh, managing me, uh, you know, like my internship coordinator. Um, and literally, I came to work one day, and they are like, oh, she got laid off today. So oh, now shit. this person is going to have to manage you. And it was just like. What are we doing here? Like, what is this? You know what I mean. And um and you know, I remember I was. I was
0: it's funny because it's almost like there's you're, you're talking about these big companies, NBC and Kaplan, and there's like you're telling me like management is mismanagement mm-hmm. and culture is non-existent.
2: Yeah, basically.
0: Which is crazy because these are big ass companies.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, you you know, again, like going into it, I thought. You know, I was like, "Oh, the well, vibe was cool." That's like, you know, NBC gonna be way cooler. And you know, I, I was working at Thirty Rock. Like, you know, I, I remember I I saw Tina Fey and them shooting the show, and I went inside. I was like, "Oh, this is so cool!" And you know, I think um, the first day that I did the interview, to, like the interview for the role, I met the like the local anchor of the sh- of the host, um, Chuck Daly or whatever his name was, that dude with the white hair. Yeah. And I was like, "Damn, this is pretty cool," yeah. you know. Like, but then you spend that some wears time, off real fast. That shit, yeah, that shit wears off almost right away. Um, so yeah, I mean. You know, that was that was tough. And then, you know, things got kind of worse because, you know, this is now, you know, I graduated in May 2009. And by the the recession was in full swing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, again, I remember like in my last couple months of school, I was like, look, man, I might not get a job at Kaplan. I might not get a job at all, but at least I could go freelance for Vibe. Like they liked me a lot. I stayed in touch with them. I got pitches. I went I remember I went to their office. They had moved offices. Um, to like a smaller office so they were kind of downsizing too they had a smaller staff is that I, is that because print was kind of just yeah, yeah on its way out print print was on its way out but also just like the media landscape was changing also the recession was starting to really ramp up right
0: so, so now you're understanding the business of yes. journalism which is a lot of journalists just block that part out
2: yes absolutely absolutely i tell i tell all my writers man you need to read the business section like everybody try to skip the business section like that's the most important section really um but yeah, so you know, I remember I went to the the vibe office, the the smaller one. I went to Sean Fantasy's office. I pitched him a bunch of stories. I actually pitched him a story about that dude, that Indian dude that signed to Cash Money, what was his name? Jay Sean. Jay Sean. Yeah. I was like pitching a Jay Sean story to him. And he was like, oh, that's kinda interesting. And this is right before he had that song down that kind of blew up for him. Mm-hmm. Um and he was like, yes, you know, he was like, yo, man, like you're the type of dude we should hire. But like, you know, I just can't do it right now. But if you want to do some stuff, pitch me stuff. Cool. I was like, okay, cool. And I felt pretty good about it. And then like a month later, vibe shut down went bankrupt and it was like <laughs> you know i was like damn like and i really went from like yo i was about to i felt like Do i some had some shit yeah. had something i could start doing but that stuff didn't really work out And
0: so you're out of school now now your parents are like yeah. yo where's the rent money what yeah are you doing?
2: yeah exactly and are that,
0: you living at home at the time
2: yeah living at home at that time um and that was a tough period i think those six months after um, I graduated in 2009. Um, those, yeah, my my parents were like, yo, man, you better go take the city's uh, civil service exam. And, you know, my dad works in traffic. He works... Uh, there's a lot of actually brown people working in traffic. Hold in, uh... on,
0: hold on, <laughs> hold on. He works in a... Uh... Does your dad write tickets?
2: Not anymore, but he used to, yeah.
0: Okay. I'm going to pause your story <laughs> for a second because we're going to talk a little bit about this Bangladeshi thing for a minute. Is it true that... There are many Bangladeshi traffic cops.
2: Oh, facts, facts, Absolutely. big facts, big facts. My dad, my dad said that too. Like, you know, he started when when I was a, like younger. He was a cab driver, okay. And then sometime in the late nineties, he, and he had like taken the civil service exam. I think like six years later, they responded to him. Absolutely. And then he took that role, and then he's been doing that for like the last twenty odd years.
0: I need you to do me a favor. <laughs> I need you to do some digging on some journalistic shit. <laughs> I want you to find the first Bengali traffic cop.
2: Oh, that's that's an interesting. That's an interesting. Because
0: question. bro, every block Manhattan that you go to, the dude writing the tickets yep. is Bangladeshi. Facts, right? Yeah. And if you like on some like, if you're not Bengali and you're trying to be cool, right, when you're about to get a ticket and you're on some like manacho <laughs> or whatever, and <laughs> you're trying to talk to him and shit, they're not having it. Nah. Period. Savage. it's crazy no, like it's that e- industry is run <laughs> by bengalis that barbacks Barback, barbacks yeah. is heavy Bangladeshi yep. as well
1: Yep.
2: another guess donuts dunkin donuts we heavy, in the oh, heavy, heavy, heavy on donuts. the dunkin donuts yeah.
0: <laughs> it's cr- like this like right like like russians got the barber shit locked yeah right yes. mm. queens and long island yep bengali's got the traffic cop thing locked i want why is that
2: I mean, it's a good job. It's yeah, you know, health benefits and you know your work hours. Um, I don't know. I I can't tell you the exact reason why but i'm sure i'm sure my dad would have a very good this, explanation th- but there's
0: got to be that one dude who was the first and then he was like yo i'm bringing my brother yo i'm bringing my cousin yo this is my guy and the, the boss up top was like yo all your guys are good keep bringing them on board <laughs> yeah. and let, let's just make this thing happen and just let them dominate
2: i mean i was about to be that guy <laughs> you know like my dad was about to like yo really yeah i mean yo like like i said look this is 2009 the reset Like, i couldn't even get a job at the gap you know what I mean? Like, okay. I couldn't get a job nowhere. Um,
0: and you were on the I want to get a job thing or freelance, right? More yeah,
2: yeah. Um, and, you know, I was just at home spending a lot of time on the internet reading about rap and, you know, checking out blogs and reading not writing. And stuff. the
0: whole time you've been a student of rap, period. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, that never left you.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the whole—yeah, I guess we didn't really talk that much about it, but, yeah, I mean, I've been— Listen to, to, you know, I think the first rap song I heard was Crisscross's Jump.
0: Such a I good was, song.
2: <laughs> it's still a good song. Supercat
0: right? oh. remixes my shit. <laughs> oh, all right. That's all right, actually. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Was, all right. Yeah, Crisscross was ill.
2: Yeah. And I was like five or six. I think my.
0: Did my you ever wear your pants did. backwards? No, I never actually did that. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> you did? <laughs> Absolutely, bro. Because I was like, I'm a little older. I was in fifth or sixth grade oh, at the word, time. Word. That was the shit. I yeah.
2: would have definitely worn my like pants. Like cross
0: backwards. colors and shit. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Um but so, yeah. Well crisscross got you into it.
2: That was like the first rap song I remember hearing. Um and then, you know, I remember like when Biggie and Pac died and like Puffy was super big. Like that was when the first time when I was like really listening to the radio every day, like right. listening to Hot 97, like you know, all about the bench bands, you know, you we know, want to be in hot ninety seven every day, that's my word. And it was like, oh damn, like that was kind of the thing. And then, you know, when like Jay Z and DMX were big and like just all through there. Yeah. Just super into all of that from there, you know um so yeah all through it you know have been super into hip-hop and like i said i had you know um expanded kind of my reach of it and after you know the internet made it possible to like listen to older rap too um and just download whatever i wanted which i just sure. downloaded everything and um you know i remember like getting dsl internet being like the ultimate thing like Shit. downloading a whole album like not just a song at a time and you know i was trying to expand like kind of my my knowledge of music too and also my love of music was very strong all throughout that um so yeah like i said you know this is uh, again 2009 um, I'm struggling uh, I really didn't know and I felt like man I actually I remember this night very specifically um, where I just was like damn I really fucked up um, because you know at that time too um, I had joined Twitter because I remember I went to, uh, like, a CUNY job fair, like, trying to get a job or internship or something, and I saw a, a professor named uh, Jeff Jarvis, who actually, um, he started um, Entertainment Weekly, that was, like, his baby, and he was he's also a professor at, at CUNY now, and he, uh, he was talking about, like, you, all you young people need to get on Twitter, like, this is what journalists are doing, and you guys know it better than we do, and then I remember like I got on it and I started connecting with some people and I just you know and I would go on Twitter. I remember the first time I went and it was like like Wale. It was like a trending topic and I was like, Wow, like I didn't know even people knew about him. Like, I was only, like, only people on Not Right or, you know, listening to the mixtape about nothing or something like that. You no know we got to talk about Wale. Well, right? know, I, I re- the second I said it, I was like, wait, why did I say that? <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's just, that's just, the, I don't know why that me- specific memory came back to <laughs> me. Of course it did. That's the segue right <laughs> there, my G. We'll, we'll get back to that. No, so, so what happened was, you know, like I said, I was, I was getting on Twitter and stuff, but I remember very specifically, I, this is like the ultimate low point of my life, or not maybe the ultimate low point, but um, I just remember. Being super depressed about not getting a job, and I remember I wanted to go to the Drake show at SOBs. Drake was playing at SOBs. This is 0809. This is 0809. I remember that after So Far Gone was out, and I remember I was talking to my friend Tracy, you know, who I interned with Vibe. Like, yo, we gotta go to this show, and mm-hmm. like both of us tried to buy tickets and we couldn't. And then like I was on Twitter and stuff, and I was following a lot of the people, uh, people who I know now, but you know, people like you know Miss Info and you know even like Rob Kenner and like a lot of people I worked with at Vibe and like. Everybody who was in the industry, like, was at that place, and I wanted to be in that room. That's where I should have been. <laughs> for the networking, was, or for Drake, f- for both, really. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I was a you know what I'm saying. But and it just felt like, you know, and I, I, I really—that's why I love the cover of So Far Gone so much. But it felt like that cover, like this sort of thing, just floating away from you. I was like, I was so close to it, and now it's just like mm. kind of just this thing that was gone. Like
0: that was your shot.
2: Yeah, that was kind of like, you know, the almost a window was closing, and it was like, I think the next week or next day I had to go do like the civil service test or something, like that was the day I got it signed or whatever. Um, So yeah, I was like, damn, this shit just sucks, you know what I mean? Um, And you know, months go by and then towards the end of the year, I saw there was a listing for a job at Complex um, to be like an editor or something like that. And I was like, this is the perfect job for me. Um, And I kept applying for it and like, and then I tried to email some people or whatever and, and at this time, too, I was reading Complex every day because it, it had become, like, my favorite site.
0: But it still wasn't the Complex that we know right. No, now. no, no, no. This is early Complex. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this
2: is 2009. And, you know, uh, and I, well, I'll come back around to this part. But, um, yeah, so I, I saw this listing, and then um, I, I really wanted to apply for it, and then I couldn't get no traction for it. And then, you know, shout-out to my man. I asked my friend John you know, who I knew from Vibe. I was like, look, I'm trying to get this thing. Can you talk to somebody? Can you give me something? He's like, "And hey, yo, man, John, and he, he personally called Noah, Noah Bever, who was the, you know, editor-in-chief at that time of Complex. and like, was like, yo, you got to fuck with this kid. And like, literally, wow. like, the next day, like, they're like, yo, come in for an interview. Wow. Um, and then I go in for the interview and, you know, it was um, Donnie Kwok, actually, you know, he ended up interviewing me. He actually works at The Ringer now. Um, and he was like, look, man, this role has been filled but we'll give you an internship. And oh, man. Like, uh, and, yo, that was really, like, exa- just... He, I remember him saying it, like, wow, you look crestfallen. I was like, fuck. Like, I thought I was so close to doing and now it's, like, back to nothing. Um, but then I was just like, well, you know. This feels
0: like a turn in the story again, though.
2: Yeah, because, well, you know, the thing was, look, like I said, I could not get a job nowhere. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even get a job at the Gap. I remember trying to apply to the Gap. I was like, I could work there, right? And I was like, <laughs> nope. Um, and... Um, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll take the internship and see where it goes. So I was like, look, I'm and not going to
0: get a non-paid internship. Non-paid. And
2: I was like, look, I'm not getting coffee or nothing. He's like, look, you don't have to do none of that. You can do real shit, but you, you got you to gotta, like intern. I was like, all right, fine. Um, was there a timeline on it? Or yeah, was it? it was like a three months to six I think it was three months kind of a thing. Um or maybe it was six months, I forget exact the number, but that was the kind of agreement, and I was like, okay, cool, and then, um, yeah, man, I started interning from there at the beginning of 2010, and that was kind of the beginning of all of that, Um, and there was a lot of dope interns at that time, too, you know, um, because, again, it was another, like, a talented class of people, so, um, you know, it was me, it was my man Modi, uh, who runs Trill Electro? You guys know Trill Electro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Modi's the guy who founded that. I was internal with him. You know, it was my uh, my friend uh, Sue Young, who um, you know she, she I forgot where she works now. She was working on like Saks Fifth Avenue or something. Um, you know, there was um J Key was there. JK actually made you know that documentary uh Black Bad Rap about like yeah. Asian rappers. Yeah, J Key's the one who made that. Um, you know, my mom, I got Dom, he works at Nike now. So it was a lot of really talented people, but I was just like trying to be that music guy. And um, again, you know, I hit it off with someone, you know, the guy that the role that I wanted, the person who applied for and actually got it was a guy named uh, Toshi Takakondo. Um, and me and Toshi kind of hit it off, and he kind of took me under his wing again and kind of mentored me in the game. And, um, you know, we took it from there, and then I just became like, You know, doing the transcriptions to like doing the interviews to doing the interviews to writing the actual stories. And, you know, by then I was like a. I, they kind of realized i was like you know and i knew i had that like that three to six month window or whatever and um i had really established myself then and i was like yo y'all gotta pay me something so i started you just getting, went into him and said that well it was like look this engineer is about to be over but <laughs> i know y'all need me come on like you know what i mean and
0: find something
2: yeah and um you know i, I think at that, that point they made me a contributing writer and i started getting like 500 a month Um, but i was basically working like five days a week there and then at the same time once i started getting a little traction on um you know getting my name published here and there on complex and then also you know being on twitter and kind of you know raising my profile there too um i ended up doing some freelance stuff at like double xl and a little bit more vibe vibe had come back Mm -hmm. and I did all that stuff, and like I would I would kind of string it together, you know what I mean? Um, you were hustling, yeah, I was, that was definitely like, man, I would like you know, like I said, work basically a full day at complex, come home and work on a freelance story.
0: Can I pause you right there for a second, and talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the business for the the aspiring writer or the kid that writes in their mm-hmm. bedroom right now. Mm-hmm. You were working at complex, making shit money, mm-hmm. probably getting to see a lot of cool shit, probably meeting a lot of cool people. Mm-hmm. Your freelance writing how are you monetizing on the freelance side? Is there like a set fee that they would pay for these articles or was it really hard to get paid as well? Like how, ha- walk oh, us through that part
2: well that part was tough too like to get actually paid to the freelancer has always been a big problem um new york okay. state actually passed a law about like you have to pay your freelancers on time mm-hmm. um in the past couple of years um but that was also an issue but you know some of the hustling with that uh, i will say was you know i would just kind of double dip where it was like i interviewed <laughs> somebody for complex and i was like hey by the way you know i write for vibe too If you want me to <laughs> oh, like,
0: okay hey, you're a that. hustling um, that's that's
2: the hustling right i mean there's, that's what it
1: is
0: there's know? a hustling everywhere yeah. so complex was Giving you the layup on the interview, yeah, but yeah, then yeah. you were sidebarring it and saying, like, "Hey, if you, you know, want to get another, I you got know. you on this." Now, yeah. in the, in the industry, is that like red flagged, or is that like some shit you don't want to do?
2: I mean, not really, because the reality is you know complex can't come to me and be like at that point anyway be like you owe us it's like what i fucking work for you for free <laughs> and like you go you gonna go stop me from you know when you're a freelancer at that it's it's, it's, it's more interesting because
0: there's like ndas and like yo you can't take our intellectual yeah, property but if you gonna if,
2: if you're gonna sign an nda you better get a paycheck with that right like right. you know what i mean right. what, what am i why would i sign at that point like you know what i mean so i think as a freelancer you have you could be more cutthroat children
0: children listen listen to this this is important man actually you know what it's funny because like the way you're talking about it reminds me of like mixtape producers (laughs) giving away beats for free but the mixtapes are streaming millions and selling millions of copies but mixtape producers get dick for their beats it's Uh the same it almost feels like so similar Mm -hmm. like so the business aspect of it is right in line that's yeah. why I'm trying to understand I don't know anything about that world mm-hmm. and you know me and Juicy are journalists now because <laughs> we do this podcast <laughs> certified, yeah.
2: certified y'all are, for real <laughs>
0: You're a you're a certified journalist. So if you told me I'm a journalist, I'm gonna take that and run with it. I'm about to put it on my Insta like I'm a journalist. Journalist slash DJ. Am I a journalist?
2: You're definitely a media figure. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I like that. Okay, so
0: you're doing a lot of this hustling shit.
2: Yeah, actually, I want I want to back up and talk about something else about this too. I know I mentioned Twitter. Twitter was a big part of this too. The first day I went to Complex and they were like, "This is the new intern. This is instant." They were like. You might know him as insulin from Twitter. They're like, oh, that guy, because wow. I would be on Twitter trolling every single one of them, be like <laughs> trolling on
0: some like talking some shit. Yeah,
2: talking shit. Like, yo, you guys put out this. You said this is the number one album. This album is not the number one. This should have been. And like arguing back and like wow. kind of. And but that was the thing. And like you know, at that time too. Like I said, I there was a lot of those people that I followed. I mean, yo, man. Like I said, you know, as far as freelance work, man. Shout out to my man Rob Markman, who I work with now at Genius. But back then. I would, I loved, Rob and me love to argue about like, you know, hip hop shit. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes I would just tweet out stuff like, yo, making fun of something. I remember I was making a joke about um, Distant Relatives, the Nas and Damian Marley album that came out in 2010. And I was saying, Nas is saying all this stuff. Shout out to you, Nas shirt. What? Um, (laughs) He had a bunch of lines on there that was just like, you know, you know, Nas always raps that science, but it's like, this is not fucking science. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Um, and I was like fact checking kind of what he was saying. And Rob just sent me, was like, yo, you know what? We used to do that at double XL. If you want, I'll pay you. You can write a sidebar about this stuff. And I was like, Oh yeah, thank you. And like, but for the for, most,
0: for what, for what media outlet for double oh, XL Yeah. at that right. time okay. he
2: was working at double XL. Okay. Um, and you know, that was that kind of thing. Like, again, I didn't, I hadn't at that point met Rob in person, but he knew me on Twitter as that guy talking about rap. I think he followed me. We would, you know what I mean, argue about stuff, um, and a lot of other people at that time who were early to that. Like I said, I later ended up meeting with those meeting those people and working with those people. But that kind of culture was starting you know, that sort of social Interesting, you were there culture. at the
0: inception of twitter
2: yeah and uh, the irony is, is you know jeff jarvis of all people is the one who kind of got, got me right. signed up for it um but then as soon as i got on and i realized like wait this is a thing that like i said a lot of people were talking about hip-hop and you know um that's one thing i would say about twitter is like you know really the black community is the community that really they call it black twitter, black twitter. no but right. i'm like it's not black twitter that's just twitter that's what twitter is um because and you just look at what trends and what people are talking about and it's very obvious that they the people who've driven this culture. Um, so so yeah, I mean, you know, that's another thing too. You know, people, you know, the same point that Jeff made 10 years ago, I make to young people now, too, is like, you know, you look at it as like you at a disadvantage because you're young, you're inexperienced, you don't know these things. But on the flip side of that is when it comes to these new platforms, it's your advantage, right? Because I the way I know Twitter, yeah, I've been on it 10 years, maybe I know it better than you. But I don't really know Snapchat the way an 18-year-old knows Snapchat. He, They definitely know Snapchat better than me. They definitely know YouTube comments better than me. You know what I mean? I came up in the blogging era. They came up in the vlogging era. So it's different, you know. So that there's a way to turn your advantages into disadvantages, too. Bars.
0: That's super bars right there. That's really, really important. Make uh, lemonade out of lemons? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Something like
2: that. It's
0: that that that's uh some cool knowledge so then how does the how does the career progress at that point so now you're now you're doing all types of shit you're popping on twitter there's still no revenue coming or limited revenue yeah the
2: yeah there was limited revenue but at the same time what's moms
0: and dads saying at this point
2: they're starting to see it now they're like okay you're making some money and there's something going on and they were kind of with it and i think they were like well they were like yo you should still go to i remember too i still actually wed to the, like, I had taken the test to be a traffic agent. And wow. then they, I did that, and then they had the thing where they make everyone who took the test come, and they do, like, your background check, and they take your blood and all this stuff and all that. And, I would
0: almost think, like, yo, you Bengali okay? You're hired. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got the plug. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. So, um, I remember I went to, and it was funny, too, because um, I was about to go, and I remember, I wore like a like slacks and a shirt, like, you know, and I was like to my dad, like, shouldn't I wear a tie? He's like, no, don't wear a tie. Don't worry about it. And I got there and it was, I mean, it was like seven in the morning we had to get there. You know, it was like very typical. This is why Bengalis are good at it, too, where it's like you got to wake up seven in the morning and be there at fucking, you know, the municipal hall or something right um, but uh, they were calling everyone in and they were like and there were some people who were dressed like in sh- t-shirts it was like why did you come this is like a job and you're dressed in a t-shirt and <laughs> he was just like separating all this guys, like "I'm, you can't go no you can't go and then I was dead at, right about to go and he's like excuse me sir no 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 you gotta go home and I was like why he's like you didn't wear a tie this is the NYPD we are professional we're courteous for this <laughs> you gotta wear a tie and I was like okay but I was also kind of happy I was like I went home and I, I, was like, I told my dad I was like you told me not to wear a tie <laughs> I was about to go put on the tie.
0: Um so your dad yeah. wanted you to be a writer too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um so that kind of went out the window there but um but yeah I remember by the end of the year after like basically a year of contributing a complex like i knew like damn come on bro like i'm a team player here i've put on and the thing was too like my work was starting to resonate and people were seeing the stuff that i did and that was my whole thing too Is like you got to bring value to the table like, absolutely what are what what are you here for um and i remember you know we were in the page views era and um i was like damn i need to get something that does a million page views um and you know that's like the thing you know joe lapuma was there at that time of course um and, you know, he would always be talking about the stats. and like, yeah, you know. And, you know, he was doing a lot of the big stuff at that time, and he's still doing big stuff now. Um, but, um, you know, I, I realized it was a numbers kind of game, and I was like, how do I put numbers on the board? Um... And uh, I remember I did, it was, it was, you know, we used to do a lot of listicles. This was the listicle era. And we did, uh, I did um the 50 best hip hop gifts of all time. And, you know, it was like the You Mad, I think that was like the number one and like the 50 laughs and drives off. Um, and that one, that was the first story I did that did like a million page views And it was like, bang. Um, that's like yo, you gotta give it to me. You know right. what I mean? Um, and I had kind of firmly established myself at that point, and um, so
0: you had to be creative as well. It wasn't just oh, about yeah, the yeah, interview yeah. you had or mm-hmm. the review you had, but you had to kind of you had to find really pave your lane.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Because you know the other thing about it was too, where it was like, you know, you could you could go do the same things. Like see, see, this is a good thing example. Like I said, there was a lot of interesting people that are also intern with me. Um, and you know, with Toshi and all that. And every time we do an interview, I would really try to get a really crazy story out of somebody you know no matter what it was and um you know that became the thing like Toshi I remember him saying that to one of the guys was like yo your interview was good but like if I gave it to ins he would have did this and this and he would and and Toshi is, Toshi is you know he's a crazy guy but he's a legendary interviewer he he's the one who he did the interview with Lil Wayne where he said he was better than Jay-Z um and because Toshi is just like really persisted and like mm-hmm. keeps asking the same question like eight different times right. until he gets you like kind of to give you the answer um but then I would transcribe his interviews and and I kind of learned that technique. Like, I saw how he did it. I saw how he tried to transition. When things got a little heated, he would kind of move away and then come back. And, like, I was, and so, it's you know. It's a tough
0: position to be in, man, too. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're, you're dealing with people who are on the road, who are stressed the fuck uh-huh. out, lack of sleep, sometimes mm-hmm. high as fuck. Like, so many people in, so many in in this world that, like, egos. most of the time, they don't even want to talk to a reporter. Yeah. And right. Right?
2: Uh, well, I think that's gotten worse in the last few years than it was. Even at that time, I think people were still... Remember, this is, like I said, the social media era is really starting to begin in, the in like, the Twitter, Instagram world of things. Right. Um, and, like, people were only, we were only... At that time, like, the only social media people had was really, like, Facebook and I guess MySpace and stuff like that were kind of over by then. So that was kind of an interesting period for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, actually, you know, one thing I remember, too, at the end of that year we did a making of for Pilot Talk, uh, Currency's album. I think it was Pilot Talk 2. Um, and I remember I was at uh, DD112, or what was it called? Like that Dame Dash space where Currencies okay. to record out of. Mm-hmm. And I went to go interview Ski Beats. Um, and out of nowhere, someone calls me. I pick up the phone, and it was the gap. Like, hey, we got your <laughs> resume. Do you want to come in? I know it's really late, but like, if you want to come for an interview, and I was like, mm, no, I think I'm good. I think uh, this is working out, so... Um, yeah, at the end of that year, in, in twenty eleven, I actually got like actually hired and you know, became a part of the staff. Yeah, at Complex.
0: Got you. So, what what was the position you were hired for?
2: I think my title was like associate editor, assistant editor, uh, or it might have been like editorial assistant or something like. That. I forget. But it, but
0: it finally came with a regular check.
2: Yes, it finally came with a regular check. Benefits. Uh, yeah, there was some benefit. Yeah, there were benefits, I had like okay. health benefits at that time Okay, um, so they were doing the right thing Yeah, they, I mean After <laughs> paying your dues, yeah, of course yeah. Yeah,
0: But you gotta pay your dues And yeah. I, I think that's like the common thing here That, you know, a lot of youth, like If you're not paying dues, it's really hard to get ahead
2: yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, like I said, to even get to that moment of being on the staff there, you know, there's some stuff I, you know, we talked about, like, the vibe stuff and all that. But, you know, there was other stuff along the way. Like I said, I interned as in high school uh, at Universal Records when I got older. I remember I did this, like, weird internship where try to work at, like, RPM, which is, like, some, like, marketing agency or something like that. Music, music marketing. Yeah, music marketing, like. They did CDs and shit, right? Yeah, like, I did that for, like, a few weeks one summer. It wasn't, didn't really go nowhere, and, you know. um,
0: Makes you feel better. I interned at Merrill Lynch (laughs) for a day. (laughs) You know what? I didn't know that. That was the only fucking, I had two jobs. That, and then I, I was a waiter at the cotillion The catering hall in Long Island oh, well. That I didn't know For <laughs> one day I got $50 there
2: Oh I, you know I did that one day too I think that was in 2009 I did one of those Like you can be a caterer for a day And I went to some <laughs> You know They just have like a gang of like Brown people waiting in Jackson Heights And oh, they put them, them on a bus Shit. Uh, But I was like oh well I need some money I didn't have any money I'll do it for one day um, and yeah, like I've worked at you know fucking Athlete's Foot. I used to work at a sneaker store. That's you our know? client. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> we do a lot of work with
1: Athlete's <laughs> Foot. We do some cool stuff. With so now, so now you've earned this position at Complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What What are some uh, some notable, noticeable, uh, I guess, um, interviews or people mm-hmm. or so like pivotal points uh, during that time?
2: Uh, again, you know, early on too. Like I said, I think the interviews became a thing. I was I was kind of getting known for Mm -hmm. um i remember the first big thing i did that really really took off was uh interview with lupe fiasco uh this is when lasers came out and and i and and, you know that's another thing i learned like how to write a headline lupe fiasco hates his own album Um, wow okay uh, and yeah a lot of people remember and what happened was and that was also like you know kind of serendipitous because i talked to him and i was talking about the album i didn't expect him to say it but he was just like I mean, it's funny because I didn't transcribe the sigh, but he was just like, you know, when I think about this album, man, you know, I, you know, I kind of love it, but I hate this album, man. Like wow. he just kind of said it, and I was like, damn, this is crazy. So I ended up doing that, and then I ran the piece, and then that it was like I was like editing it that morning. Lasers leaked. So Lupe's fans jumped on it And they heard him They were like This album kind of sucks And it was like What's wrong with this album And then just a few hours later This story publishes Sheesh. And he was talking about The problems he was having With the label And this and that And he explained like You know He didn't fully explain But he got into the whole thing About what was wrong with it But that was like A story again Where it's like You gotta put the numbers On the board um, And you guys Well a as rough, ju-
0: rough ass business man
2: <laughs> And uh, you know As you guys as journalists Might know this numbers, <laughs> there's, a, there's a site called Chartbeat um, And anyone who works on a website spends all i i you know eat lunch and watch Chartbeat, um <laughs> but Chartbeat just mod- it just shows you like how many people are on what page of the site like you know mm-hmm. um and like what's your most popular content and like that lupe thing like it was the hottest thing on the site by like a you know like twice as hot as the next hottest story. story i was oh. like now you know now i got a hit right um and uh i remember um
0: question for you though mm-hmm. before you go into that memory when you're doing a piece on a big artist like that mm-hmm. and you run it Mm-hmm. without permission or without, you know, management's sign-off or, mm-hmm. you know, his his people's sign-off, does it potentially really burn your... potentially have the ability to burn your relationship with the artist or... Have your bosses calling you like, yo, what the fuck did you do that for? Now Lupe's not gonna fuck with us.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, getting called into having to have that conversation. This is what I always say too, and this happened, you know, this happened even the other day with us, but um, getting called into that office and being like, why did this happen? What the fuck is going on? That's how you know you got a hot story. That Mm. is to me the ultimate.
0: This is. But which is why sometimes so many people are like, yo, I don't fuck with journalists. I hate journalists. They're just looking for views.
2: Yo, but here's the thing. And this is at that time, too. Lupe then goes on uh, his Twitter and is like, I never said I hate the album. I love the album. Wow. But But I literally have audio of you saying it. So what are you talking about? <laughs> so you, know? you
0: could check this, like, anyone, based on the fact that you have shit on record. Yeah. I mean this. Is and why, that's not your intent, but... But,
2: yeah, no, but this is why you... No, but this is why you record the interview, you know what I mean? Um, and transcribe it and make sure it's correct. So, you know, and and, and and that was an issue, too, because I remember the publicist at Atlantic got mad at us, this and that um i forgot who it was at that time and i know toshi and her got they he like argued with her on the phone for a bit um
0: okay so your team had your back
2: yeah yeah definitely because you know i had the facts like that's the other thing too you know man i know you're more on the, on the artist side of this but i will say man like no no
0: i'm 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 on the truth side bro <laughs> yeah hell yeah. like there's truth and there's opinion and me and juicy we talk about truth versus opinion and if mm-hmm. it's truth it's factual and that's it there's no arguing a fact Mm -hmm. you can't argue a fact Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. i mean i agree but this is the thing i'm saying with artists and stuff man a lot of times they'll say stuff in interviews and this is true of politicians and a lot of people they'll they'll say stuff in interviews and then you know their fans or their benefactors or their collaborators get mad at them and they're like no i didn't say that the media is setting me up and it's like bro i didn't i didn't yeah and this is like the thing cuz again the girl the 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 publicist I, I forgot her name but she was she used to work at atlantic she's like this is not what we agreed to do an interview i'm like yo you told me you're gonna interview him I about know. his new album and, and i interviewed him about his new album this is what he said you should have been you were on the call you're like on the you know what i mean like
0: right at that point the art the publishers could have been like yo do yeah. eat that part yeah leave right? us out yeah you could have said
2: that or you could have said you know and this stuff that artists have shared to me off the record that i keep off the record that's fine but again it can't be the thing where you throw a stone and then you want to hide your hand all the time mm-hmm. and that's that's really the thing for a lot of this stuff that you know people say it's just like they just don't think about how it's gonna be perceived. When the perception of it starts to affect their reality, then they want to be like, "Well, this is the whole thing," or this and that. And it's like, is it, it, there's, a, there's a dishonesty to that? You yeah. know what I mean?
0: Listeners, but, rewind that last part real quick and re-listen to that. <laughs> I'm gonna rewind that and we listen
1: to that. That's crazy. It's
0: a, <laughs> it's it's true, man. It's like, facts. yo, if you're gonna say it, man, you better mean it and you better have some facts behind it.
2: Yeah, I mean you gotta live up to your word and you know, that's the thing I think as a journalist for me, that's what I try to do. Um, that's not to say there's never been an error or something, like sometimes people make genuine mistakes in transcriptions and things like that, and that's happened to me as well. But um you And know, do you own that at that point? Yeah, at that point up? you gotta say, look, I fucked up, I'll fix it. You know, at Keith. least we're in the internet era where it's easier to fix something like that. Whereas in the print era, you know, once you, you it got published pop- it's out, it's out, out yeah. it's out. And you know, that's happened as well, which I understand, you know. Can
0: we talk about the top fifty albums of twenty thirteen? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, sure, sure, sure.
0: Wale, um, let's cut right to it. What was the number <laughs> one album? You you created that list?
2: No, okay. So the so this is the irony of this. The list situation. was a, the team effort, right? It's a team effort. Mm-hmm. You know, the final co-sign was the editor in chief at the time, Noah Kellam Bever. Um, but it's funny, man, because you know I tell the story at times. It's, it's always fun to me because. Uh, we were making a list. I forgot what the number one album was that year. Um, This is 2013, whatever. It's probably Yeezus, I think. Uh, That's the year Yeezus came out, right? So um, anyway, it's funny because I remember we were in the meeting and we're debating it. How many people are in this team? This is like a lot. It was like eight to ten people in that room at that point Um, because there's the music team. And, you know, I remember like Jacob from Pigeons and Planes. Like, you know, that's like not... The complex said, but he has a lot of perspective so we all you know it's an open discussion um and i remember at the End of that meeting, I was like, we only had one slot left, the number 50 or whatever. We we're like, and I was like, yo, we should put Wale's album. I was the only <laughs> one in the room being like, we should put and it was either Wale or Big Sean's Hall of Fame. And you know, you know, Hall of Fame is not that great an album. I think Big Sean has better records than that one. Um and I was like, yo, this Wale album is pretty good. It was Wale's ambition. I was like, this is a good album. And I was remember, like, yeah, cause like, yo, man, Jell Puma and Noah, they just hated Wale or something, man. It was just <laughs> always i don't know what it was man crazy
0: because d- they're both sneaker guys too <laughs>
2: yeah you know uh, i can't i can't you know what they weren't the only ones either i think everybody in the office kind of just didn't really rock with him like that um but i was just like yo man like this while is pretty good and i kind of just got voted out and i was like ah whatever it's fine it's number 50 it's no big deal um so you know fast forward like a week or some after that the, the piece runs and all that um and Another interesting thing happened around that period that I don't know if people remember. Um, This was also this was actually my fault in some ways. Uh, We once did a list of the most um, the most underachieving rappers. Um, and we put Nipsey Hussle on that list. Whoa. Now I would at not at that time. At that time, it made sense. I would never put him now because now he's he's really turned his career around. Mm-hmm. But at that time, when it you made say sense.
0: underachieving, meaning financially, meaning spins, just meaning like his career, props. he, he
2: should have been a bigger star than he was. Yeah, um, and he seemed like he was on the verge of it. And then you know, in, you know, in two thousand nine, he had like one of the he was one of the biggest mixtape. Like 2008 Like ain't got no name It was a fire Mixtape Amazing was, I thought he was about to be Like the next Snoop It was like yeah. You know And it didn't work out He's uh,
0: gonna be He's the first Nipsey And he's fucking incredible
2: Yeah yeah for sure So you know this is but This is before that So I think this is like 2012 or something We wrote that And then in in that year, two thousand thirteen, he was doing something. I think that's when he did the hundred dollar album thing.
0: It was a little later, yeah. Oh, it was something fourteen, fifteen. He, but yeah, he, he
2: was doing something at that time, yeah. and we wanted to interview him. I remember, and he and turned then, you guys and he down. He was us fucking down. pissed. Yeah, and he was super pissed about yeah, that list. Yeah, and he was saying, "Fuck you guys." And then <laughs> yeah, it, and you
0: he, know, he aired he aired complex aired the out. fuck yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he basically made a statement like none of these websites mean shit. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm a Nipsey
0: fan, so yeah,
2: no, and you know, like I said, I was a Nipsey fan too. you know what i mean um but uh yeah so he did that and then um shout out to my man angel diaz because he Andrew got the interview with nipsey gotcha and, and okay. shout out to karen civil because karen civil helped make that one happen um because she talked to nip and was like yeah, she's, Look he's, he's Facil- on the pr team yeah right? she kind of facilitated that and then we did it and it was a really great interview and it was a nice fourth wall breaking kind of moment of him talking about the media a journalist talking with him mm-hmm. and saying like that's not what the pro-, like talking about the process and i was like that was really dope absolutely um, amazing and it was really cool i think he's but, smart too yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um and it was a cool look and I and then so um you know fast forward we put out the you know the 50 best album the 2013. Right. And um I want to say his name cuz he he didn't want to be involved like this, but somebody who worked at Complex and had a relationship with Wale previously came up to me and they were like, yo, man, Wale call me. He's really upset about the list. He wants to talk to you about it. He wants to talk to somebody, this and that. Um, and he knew
0: you knew Wale at the time?
2: Yeah, I knew Wale. I had interviewed him. In fact, yo, it was crazy because, you know, in 2012, we had Rick Ross on the cover of Complex with Andy Samberg. And this is right when he signed started MMG with Wale. And I remember I did mm-hmm. the Inside the Book interview with Wale, Meek Mill, and Pill. Remember when Pill mm-hmm. was a part of MMG? Um, and... I like interviewed the three of them together, and then I interviewed Wale for like two hours. Like I had a, uh, we did his twenty five favorite albums, and then I just had a long interview with him and him saying, you know, I remember he was saying like I wake up in the morning and I think everybody hates me, and he was wow. like, oh man, I feel like complex never show me love, and you know, I was saying like, yo, and I was like I said, you know, going back to two thousand nine, two today, I was a big Wale fan. I was a really big fan of the mixtape about nothing, because um, I was also a big Seinfeld fan, and I thought I just thought his style was so dope. And I always like go-go music and I always thought go-go music should have been bigger than it kind of was. So, um, and yeah, like I said, so there's like, yo, Wally wants to talk to somebody. And, um, you know, I remember Noah walking by they're like, you want to talk to Wally? He's like, no, 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 no. I have other things to do. And I was like, no, let me talk to him. Tell him it's the an interview and we'll do it like the Nipsey thing. Cause I was thinking of the Nipsey thing. Let, let me do the fourth wall breaking moment. And you know, that's the other thing about the list. Like you said, like, wait, is it? did you make it by yourself with a group? like, I wanted to talk about the process. Cause people will always be like, Oh, which intern picked this to be number one? Or did you guys put any effort? It's like, yo, we would argue, <laughs> we would argue about it in the office for weeks. Like we'd, you know, we'd, we'd get into it with each other. Like, how are you going to say this and put that in number one, put that, you know what I mean? Um, and, um, so yeah, the the dude the dude, you know, who worked at Complex Connected, you know, gave Wale my number and Wale called me up and you know, I I, was, I told I told him like, "Yo, it's like an interview." And you know, uh, what proceeded after that was uh, a pretty infamous moment, man. Um, you know, he was uh <laughs> I mean, you guys might have to play the audio. I can't <laughs> even go into it. Um, but yeah, he was very upset. And I just remember like I got off the phone and it was only I was only on the phone for like two and a half minutes with him, you know what I mean? And like the clip that you hear was the entire clip, um, minus like one second of it. Um, but you know, I remember I just like took it off the, the the recorder off the phone and I just pressed play and like started playing in the office. And it was again, it was just one of those moments where everyone in the office turned around and was like, "What is that? What is this guy saying? And what is going on?" And I kind of realized, like, "Holy shit, this is like a big thing." um and you know we kind of had to figure it out from there um and that was another situation too you know um I, I, uh, you know with the label too like we we would talk to the label like look man this guy said this and you know at one point we were trying to do it like um instead of like they were like don't run it we don't want you to do it what can we like leverage that into something we we're like look if he comes in and does an interview on camera about it and Damn, saying, like,
0: son, we and that's try- the business of journalism we were like, yeah. look,
2: but, but it's like, you know, the, the, the thing about that situation was like You can't, it, it, you know, it's one thing to be like it's a, you, you know, you're trying to do things in a professional way, in a media way But you're literally threatening to come here and beat me up it, This is not professional, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. in, in those, <laughs> it's hip-hop it's, Yeah, it's hip-hop, and, you know, and this is the thing too, man You know, people forget this. And again, we had a right after that, we had a huge meeting where like a lot of people like, yo, what are we going to do with this? How do we play this and all that? And they're like, yo, man, like, do you think he's going to do it? I was like, dog, like people forget Rick Ross ran up on DJ Vlad and beat DJ Vlad up. I mean, I don't know if Rick Ross himself did it or his goons did it, but Vlad sued him. And, you know, um, for like 300K. Um, and actually won that lawsuit too. And then Rick Ross dissed him on the album and he's like, Vlad's back to making minimum bit of a wage or whatever. Um, but yeah, so it was like, and again, going back to the five days, like I said, you know, Interned under Daniel Smith back in the days. Daniel Smith wrote a story on you know Foxy Brown, and Foxy Brown ran up on her like for real, for real. You know Damn. what I mean? Um, and back in the and you know again, like I said, I used to read Complex every day um, in 2009 before I even worked there. And one of the stories I remember them reading was a history of rappers beating up journalists, and it was like a funny story too because because <laughs> yo, it used to happen fairly routinely. Right, in so the you got
0: to be careful because a lot of journalism journalists don't really. Necessarily come from where the artists come from. And no, no,
2: no. See, that's not even true either. Like, but in
0: some cases, in, right? In
2: some cases yo, like in one of the cases, I remember it was like the Wu Tang Clan in like '93 or four like beat up this dude i forgot i think it was yeah, i
0: I, re- I mean i heard stories of like the woo going up 60 deep to like stretching bobito and like forcing their way in and like we don't get in we're gonna fucking fuck this place up that <laughs> shit. so yeah i mean that's that's hip-hop but,
2: but stretching bobito are from the culture right
0: right absolutely yeah. but it was like the door girl not letting them in and like right, no right, you got to right. be on the list they're like fuck that we're yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's the point like yeah, hip-hop yeah. hip-hop over everything really like yeah. hip-hop's gonna kind of there, some a rapper or someone who's really from it is gonna go hip hop before they say, "Let me pause because this is on some journalism shit
2: uh you know I mean i I kept the hip hop and uh I kept the recorder on so, <laughs> you know what I mean what can, what can I say um but yeah, so you know we end up running it, and you know the thing about that too the the thing that was really the lasting. Impact. I know for a while it was a big thing for him. And, you know, eventually we published it and we ran with it and it blew up. And that was like a really, really big moment. Like it was trending on Twitter and, you know, everybody I knew was hitting me up about it. And, um, and like everyone on my, t- all those people on my timeline were talking about it. I didn't say, I, remember, I didn't tweet a single thing that day. I was just kind of watching. Mm-hmm. Bask, um, basking in glory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, the other thing about that is that we use that to launch complex news. Complex News that existed at the time, and it was just they had done some pilot kind of stuff. And, like, yeah, it kind of had, like, a soft launch. But when we had that, we were like, this is the story. Um, and I remember they gave me the option, like, do you want to be the host of it? And I was like, I, I wasn't really used to doing on-camera stuff at that time. I was like, no, no, no. I wanted, I was like, I was like, Jinx should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember watching Jinx, you know, do it. That night And I was, and he's really good Like he was doing it In one take I was I tried to do some like I think I did a screen test At that time So I couldn't do It would take me like 30 takes or something Right um, And I was just like Damn this is that moment And we you know We shot it And we did it We put it out And I mean that, And even for Complex News That was the breakout moment For it Because that was the first video Because you had to live, Watch the video To hear the audio um, And that was the first video That really really Blew up for us And I mean It was so much so For like the next Like few months Like when they would do the Like the traffic reports They would have to filter the Wale trap. This is like, this is our most successful video except for the Wale video, which is like by far the biggest video. Right. Um, you know, that's not true anymore, obviously, because they've done a lot of amazing things. But, um, at that time, you know, helping launch that, um, that was, that was just a crazy moment. And, um, you yeah, know.
0: there's a lot of, a lot of things you've done behind the scenes. So what, what takes you from Complex to now where you're at, at Genius? Uh, so was yeah. there anything in between? or? Uh,
2: well, there was something kind of in between in that it was my L.A. hiatus in that uh, I moved to L.A. Um, we were opening up the Complex West Coast office. I had been to L.A. a bunch of times doing stories and, and working out there. Um, and I was like, L.A. is awesome, man. This is where I, where I should be at. Um, so I moved out to L.A. and I, I, I lived there and worked for Complex for a couple of years out there um until um you know i just felt like i I, well you know look you know verizon bought complex in 2016 and i knew the sale was coming we kind of all knew in the office Mm. and i knew things were going to change over there and i was like and i was like i can't you know stay here like this is not going to work out it just it wasn't the same anymore um and uh interesting
0: from being a guy who couldn't get a job to being like now like I got to move on to some some next shit.
2: Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing about the media game is it's a real revolving door industry. Um, so much so, like I said, when I was at Vibe for, you know, a few months as an intern, you know, the music editor came and went. I worked at Complex for, you know, a full six years, and so many people came and went.
0: People, sure. I was there so long, people... Six, six years is a long is time. It's a
2: long, long time. And people came... <sighs> Left and then came back. <laughs> you know what I mean, man, there's people who've the been who've been uh, you know super out, revolving Yeah, I mean, shout out to my man Damian Scott, who's actually the editor in chief now. But he he worked there and then he quit and then he worked there again and then he quit again and then he works now. He's the editor in chief. Oh, so he had a you know a coming and going. Um, so yeah, Joe I mean, Button never going to go back. I doubt it. I think <laughs> he's he's got his thing now. He's doing good. Yeah, um, but um, but yeah. So you know. All throughout those years, so many things had happened at Complex. I mean, I feel like I'm not even scratching the surface of uh, all the the stories and all the the pieces that we did because we did so much crazy stuff for all those years. Um, but, yeah, I kind of I kind of realized the party was over. Like, you know, I hadn't done what I wanted to do, um, and I kind of realized L.A. was not everything that was cracked up to be living there. You
0: do have a Mac Miller article that you wrote.
2: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Before um, we really get to Genius, I, I just want you— I know that has come back out and resurfaced a little bit, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, that was that was really the first story where Mac really talked about his drug problems. Um, and man, you know what's crazy about that man? I actually, I kind of, I kind of had a hand in starting the Mac Miller Donald Trump feud. Uh, <laughs> so. That man, this is so. This, this is such a you know, I'll tell the story because this is such a crazy story. There's so many parts to this, and a lot of it is not in the actual story. Um, so, what happened was, we were doing something at Complex called the Man of the Year, and um, the winner of it would get a Fisker Karma, which was like an electric car, but it was like a muscle car. And the reason they were getting a Fisker is because Mark Echo, who founded Complex, was an investor in Fisker. Got it. And um, so we go... Super layered. Yeah. And then we go, and then Mac Miller won it. We had been, I had been covering Mac Miller a ton because I everyone used to hate on him. back. Everybody who's saying nice shit about him, I'm like, y'all were shitting on this guy so hard just a few years ago. But I was like, this guy has has real talent. He's just not fully developed as an artist. I kind of saw him for what he was. And I knew he had a big fan base, so when I would do stories with him, they would get a lot of views. So, you know, I was, like, doing stuff with him, so I had a relationship with him and his team. So... Um, you know, it comes around. He wins the Man of the Year. We do the cover. We go to LA. We give him a fisker, yo. And they're like, all right, yo, it's, you know, come back to the crib. We'll do the interview. You'll hang out. You'll see the studio. You'll see the house. Cool." Wow. Same, at the same time, they're doing Mac Miller's um, MTV Two reality show. He mm-hmm. had a reality show called Mac Miller: The Most Dope Family. So MTV is following us around and shit too. <laughs> so we gave him a Fisker. We gave him a brand new car, and he drives the car home. And it's, and you could watch it, the, the premiere episode of that show. It, you know, we give him the car. You know, Mac is driving. His man, uh, Q, shout out to Quentin, um, was sh- sitting shotgun. I'm sitting in the back with his brand new car, and his car literally breaks down before he even makes it home. Oh, we broke shit. down in the middle of the 105 wow. in L.A., and I was just like, what the fuck, man? It's
0: kind of embarrassing.
2: It was a huge, and, and Fisker already had a lot of bad press because they were saying, um, I think during Sandy or something like some of the cars blew up or something like that and it was just like this is the worst fucking press in the world like we literally gave this guy like the founder of Frisco was there giving him the car and this car doesn't even make it home uh it was such a bad look um and um you know but then i went you know i went to their house and it was it was crazy too because you know max house at that time had become Um, just like the place where everybody, every rapper, like all the young LA rappers would come through. Um, and I remember like Casey veggies was just hanging out, you know, in the pool house. And then Earl sweatshirt came through. And at that time, Earl sweatshirt, another rapper who hated complex. And he dissed us on chum. He was like, fuck complex because we had found him when he was uh, in Samoa. Um, and, like, he just walked in and, like, I was like, oh, shit, like, is it going to be a problem or something like that? But, you know, it, it wasn't. And, he was, you know, Earl was super-duper cool. And it, it was just me, Mac, and Earl in his pool house. And they recorded um, Guild, uh, which is a song on Doris. Um, and they was just doing that. And I just, you know, hung out with those guys. And, you know, eventually I, I really did sit with Mac and interview him for a long time. And, like, yo, man, you know, he, he talked really in-depth about, you know, his problems with lean. And at that time he was clean, but obviously that didn't last for very long. Um, and you know, eventually the story ran and you know it was one of those things where every I, I, I do I don't I don't wanna toot my own horn, but it did, you know, kinda I, I think people felt bad for Mac. They were cause, you know, this I didn't mean it like this. I think people read into it where the this, just the way the story was positioned, which I kinda regret, but it was it was talking about like, look, this guy's super successful, here's all his accomplishments, he had the number one album, he did this and that. But then also here's some bad stuff that happened to him. You know, people are shitting on him. They say he sucks. Pitchfork gave him famously, gave him a one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, and then he got sued, and then also, by the way, like he's become addicted to drugs. He, and he talks about it and using his quotes. And people kind of read that as like, you know, oh, everyone is mean to Mac, so now he's became a drug addict. And like, that wasn't really the situation like that. Um, and his label was kind of mad at the positioning of it like that. Um, and, uh, but Mac was always super cool, man. And he was such a, he was such a genuine dude. Um, that's why you see the love pouring out for him. So, you know, R.I.P. to Mac. Um, oh, so so the Trump thing. So Yeah, so, okay. So Mac was famous for his song, uh, Donald Trump. At that time...
0: That was a 2011 record, 2011.
2: Though. At 2013, when we were doing the cover, Donald Trump, that's when he first started saying shit about Mexicans. And he lost his show with The Apprentice or something because right. he said some fucked up right. shit about Mexicans. Can
0: I just give some people some history on that? Mm-hmm. That, For those who kind of are not Mac Miller fans or don't know the record, the record was actually giving props to Donald Trump. hmm So just... Some 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 back end for people. Yeah.
2: yeah, and you know, as rappers, you know, before they kind of realized who Trump really was, right. you know, always kind of showed love to Trump, and that was a thing. Um, And what happened was um, there was an additional thing that we shot. This is before we actually left the parking lot with the car. But it was Mark Echo and Mac Miller in the car. And one of the things Mark Echo asked him about was like, yo, so, you know, you got your main song is about Donald Trump. And, you know, Mac Miller was like, yeah, like, fuck that guy. I didn't now I hate that hate him. And I didn't realize that he was a racist and all that when I made the song. And, you know, he just said the facts that everybody was feeling right. Right so um you know later on this is like after the story ran and everything and again like rostrum like the people at rostrum were a little mad at me like you you kind of made it like this but mac hit me up and he was like the story is dope thank you for telling my story it was cool and i was very happy with that um and um but what, what happened was so we had this video and at the time we had a real strict policy, you know, at complex, and I think most media organizations have this, where if you're writing a story about somebody or writing a tweet about somebody, and it's like, you know, Mac Miller's album is number one, you'll at Mac Miller, because maybe he'll retweet it and it'll get you more traffic, and also his fans can see it, right? But if it's a negative story, if Mac Miller, well, I don't want to use Mac, but, you know, if, you know, somebody's album album just flopped, you're not going to at them, because that's just going to, you know, that's just bad business. Right. And, you know, we wrote the tweet, and... Um, we weren't gonna at Donald Trump, and I, I was like, no, 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 no. We need to at Donald Trump because that guy is he's so thin-skinned, f- yeah. and he's gonna respond, and this video will help blow up if he responds. And just like I predicted, and, I, and even back then, I knew that he was like a you know a thin-skinned piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and so he, so so we did it, and literally like you know 20-30 minutes later, like after the tweet went out, you know, Mac Miller, um, uh, Donald Trump is like you know that's where he has that Mac Miller, you dog, you you, yeah, know, yeah. you, you ungrateful, this and that. Um, but it's funny because that video got lost in the part like everyone talks about like why Donald Trump is mad but no one really brings up what he was mad about what made that relationship change and it was because of that video
3: mm. yeah
0: so you've, you've had your hand in a lot of cool little things before, <laughs> Yeah. I right. Mean, and the, the history yeah. is, is is long there's a lot of stuff that you did yeah. uh, but before we get out of here uh, one where can people find you before we really end and then I want to get into where you're at now
2: uh, people can find me, you know, like I, where I've been at, a Twitter, at uh, I-N-C-I-L-I-N, at Insulin, um, you and know. And
0: do you respond to your DMs and do you respond oh, to Oh, yeah, them?
2: yeah, 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 definitely respond to the DMs. You know, I'm on Instagram, too, um, and you can hit me there. I think that's kind of become the place where most younger people are at, um, and that's cool, too. Same name, I-N-C-I-L-I-N, and, you know. So
0: he, he, here's a guy who's sitting with us who's done so much in the game, who continues to do uh, uh, great things in journalism, um, youth. <laughs> We really want you to pay attention, man. This guy came from nothing, and here we are. He's done interviews with some amazing, amazing people, artists. Uh, broke stories. Uh, Got had some uh, Twitter beef, or <laughs> been been behind some Twitter beef with some with the president of the United States, uh, and now. You're at genius. Yes, yes. Uh, so so y- y- I know earlier you hit on the fact that Verizon came to Complex and it was yep. kind of like not where you wanted to be, and you I, wanted to move on.
2: Yeah, I realized the corporate structure was coming, and I didn't really want to be around for that. I ended up leaving, and you know, um, unsung hero and all this too. I should mention is uh, you know the director of content. At Genius is uh, Brendan Frederick. Um, and I knew Brendan because we worked together at Complex for a long time. And he was the, you know, when, when I was talking about that story, like the history of rappers getting beat up and stuff, like Brendan wrote that. That's when Brendan had come on. And he did a lot of things. And, you know, Brendan had also previously worked at Double XL when Elliot used to blog and like Sycamore, wow. Dallas. And that was B Fred. He was the one that kind of put that together. Um, and I kind of realized, like, then this is the guy who. You know, when, even before I was in the game, he was doing that. And that was, like, my favorite site. I used to read Double XL every day. Right. Then at Complex. When the plays together. Yeah. Playmaker. Com- yeah, and he's, like, a lot of, like, maybe people don't know him, like, the way he's not, like, a front-end player all the time, but he's, like, behind the scenes, really the one who masterminded a lot of the stuff that we did at Complex.
0: Masterminds um, are usually the quiet ones.
2: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, he, you know, um, I had known Genius, you know, obviously when it was Rap Genius and all that stuff, but didn't know how serious it was. Uh, or like, I didn't really take it that serious, but when they first, when they hired Rob Markman and I was like, Oh damn, they hired Rob, like that's a pretty big get for them. And when they hired B Fred, I was like, Oh no, they for real. Cause if that's like a winning combo right there. Um, so B Fred kind of helped bring me on board to genius. And, you know, I met with him, um, and he was like, look, you want to do this? You'd be perfect. We need somebody like you. Um, and at that time we were launching, um, fact tracks, which is, you know, on Spotify, those the little, you know, stories and the facts and the lyrics that run while the song plays. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, look, somebody, we need people to write these. Like, you should do this. You have a great background for it, this and that. And, you know, we worked the deal out. And, you know, um, I was feeling some offers. And that was, uh, Genius was really the best offer. And I got a chance to move back to New York. Um, so it all kind of worked out like that. The stars aligned. And then, yeah, I've been at Genius since you know, the top of 2016. And, um, you know, I'm about... It's about to be three years almost now, you know? Again,
0: that's a long time in journalism, especially in today's current state of revolving doors, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the one thing I will say, man, you know, for Genius, I think when I was complex, it was a very vertical kind of movement in that like I was always the music guy you know like I just worked for the music channel I did some other stuff for the stuff but for the most part I was the music the whole time um and I kind of almost had the same role I moved I tried to do video stuff when I was in la but I kind of I had a hard time with that and the structure wasn't kind of set up the way I think the complex video structure is much stronger now um but at genius you know I've had a lot more uh it's been much more fluid because like i said i came on to do fact tracks and that was the main thing that i would do i would write those and work on that stuff but then you know um as the editorial wing was there sometimes i'd be like i want to write an editorial piece and they'd be like oh yeah you should like you can also have that skill kind
0: of room to move around and grow a little bit
2: so I, i worked on some of that stuff and then you know um later on i think um in the end of 2016 or the um, yeah the end of 2016 um, we were thinking like yo we want to launch Genius News and there weren't that many people in the office who would like camera experience um, except for Rob but Rob was more busy doing you know, the artist relations side of things and you know they asked me like you should you want to do it like you have the thing I was like yeah let's do it let's go you know what I mean and I helped launch some of that stuff and then we saw the success of the early videos we made because even like the first video we made for it like across all platforms did like a million views and it was like oh damn you know the audience is ready for this Um, And people were kind of into it. So, you know, I wasn't meant to do that permanently. I don't love to do like um, hosting in that kind of way. You know, I'm more comfortable in like this kind of environment. But, um, you know, I helped work on that stuff, too. And, you know, and then, you know, just, you know, my if I had some input or I wanted to help on certain things, you know, people were receptive and open to that. Um, and yeah, eventually, you know, I think in the last year, I've been working more on the management side of things, because um, now, you know, as the executive editor, uh, I manage both the editorial. What's your, what's
0: your exact title there?
2: I'm the executive editor, and I manage the uh, the editorial, but also the social. Um, and you know, management is a different skill too. Um, and you know, that's the thing I'll tell everybody, and all you know, for the kids listening too, you know, everything is a skill. You know, people act like it's not, you know, they think, you know, doing an interview is like having a conversation. It's like it's not. It's like doing an interview, Um, (laughs) Hmm. you know, uh, and just like management. And like that was the thing, you know, again, like I felt I remember at Complex a lot and, you know, a lot of places that I worked um, where it's like, you know, oh, you're a good writer. You should you're the editor now that's not totally true because being a writer is not the same as being an editor. Mm. Yeah. But the real problem in most media organizations is it's like, Oh, you're an editor, good editor. You're the manager. And it's like, management is a totally different skill. Thank um, you. Thank
0: you. <laughs> that that's really, really, really impactful to say that, that <laughs> sometimes skills just don't cross over. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Some skills don't. Yeah. Um, and to, you know, learn a skill and work at it. And again, you know, for me, um, I learned the skills of, you know, we were talking about writing and journalism and interview techniques and all that. like That's a long time. Um, it took me many, many years and many, 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 you know, trials and errors to get to where I'm at with it. Um, and, you know, similarly, you know, with management, I'm still new to it. I'm still learning it, but it's it's, it's a different skill as well. Um, and it requires, you know, steady, you know, you got to study it and you got to do it. And you also got to got to make mistakes and try to learn from it.
0: Did you have to do more schooling?
2: Um, I haven't done that I don't ever want to go back to school I don't really (laughs) like school I find it annoying Um, I've read some management books um, that I need to keep on reading that you know I still got to learn lessons from Um, and you know I think for the most part nothing is is quite the same as doing it so doing it's where it's at
0: a couple of things I learned Um, one is that you're really big on relationships and Mm -hmm. you've you've mentioned so many people some people who I'm familiar with some people who I'm not Mm -hmm. familiar with but uh, one theme throughout everything you've said is that there's always been people, mentors, mm-hmm. uh, people, the co-signs, uh, just people in your corner or people that you could reach out to and lean on. For the youth listening, how important is building and maintaining relationships in any business, whether it be journalism or whatever you do? How how important, like where do you rate that uh, on top of obviously having to be great at what you do?
2: Yeah, no, um, relationships is a very very important part of any to your point to any business um you know some of it is a skill thing and some of it is also just like a trust thing you know what i mean like if i don't trust you i'm not gonna you know i don't care how smart or rich or whatever you know good you are like if i don't trust this guy i'm not gonna Start a lemonade stand with him You know what I mean You guys wouldn't trust Start a podcast together If you didn't trust each other At the very least You know right. um, So there's some of that Earning people's trust You know Respect and things like that But in general Networking and not burning bridges Is important And I think paying it forward Is important And that's why I like to Shout out people who, You know That's actually something Of all people I picked that up from uh, Tom Coughlin uh, Used to be the, Wow He used to be the Juicy's a big fan, a big yeah. fan. He used to be the coach Of the Giants yeah. And one of the things He would tell the players Like if you do an interview Just make sure you shout out One other guy in the team and just say something nice and people will appreciate that. And I always thought that was a really nice thing because people do appreciate it. Um, and like I said, I appreciate all the people that I had the chance to work with and who, you know, put me under their wing and I, I try to learn a lot from. Um, and yeah, you know, like I said, with relationships, man, that's that's really a lot of stuff falls apart Good things fall apart because the relationships between people didn't work out. Um, it's just that's just life, um, and you know. But having good relationships, having good chemistry, and things like that, and you know, it, it's funny because I'm not a super personable guy either. Um But you know, when I find people that I connect with, I try to you know keep that going.
0: I'd hang out with him. Hell yeah! <laughs> Would you hang out with us again?
1: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we go, top five dead or alive. Uh, you know, Ooh. no.
2: See, I see. I have like a, a thing with it. I, was, I don't know. Maybe it'll change, but it's always been Biggie, Pac, no order, but Biggie, Pac, Nas, J and Eminem. Um, no but, particular order, though. No particular order. Okay, I would I probably put Jay at one. Jay is the is always the one. Me too. Um, but I don't know, man.
0: Wait, Biggie, Pac,
2: Nas, J and Nas, JM. I will say, M and Nas are they're looking a little funny in the light right now. Um, they might they might move down. Um, I will say the other candidates up there are Kendrick. Drake, Kanye, uh, Wayne, Rakim, Ghost, Cube.
0: No Jada in there. No Jada, no Styles. <laughs> no man, J- yo Jada. <laughs> yo, I we're, St- different, yo, like, Stiles, we're different, bro. We're different.
2: Styles is like one of my like favorite favorite rappers. Like my Favorite is know, Like you know he's he's definitely up there. Like just the the way he raps in his style. Um, but um, no man, Jada, yo man. Uh, speaking of under underachieving rappers, I mean, <laughs> I did I did a list at Complex. We did a ra- uh, 20, uh, it was like ten great rappers who don't have a classic. Is definitely Jada Kiss number one on that list. Come on.
0: Heavy street classics though. <laughs>
2: No man, you know, I would say Jada is like.
0: I know what you're saying. Like a lot of people put Fab in that category. Yeah, I was just I was gonna put them both. But Fab's tenure and longevity, and like,
2: they're both very, very good as rappers they're like a great 16 bar rapper but they are not artists they just are they don't have yeah. artistry to their Fair to their work they never really developed that we'll have a part two Yo, we'll have a whole different because
0: again like yeah. like what i like about that is it's so opinionated and everyone could be right right <laughs> no uh, i'm right
2: i'm the only one right. <laughs> right. <laughs> facts uh
0: one thing before we go uh you're the you're the son of immigrants mm-hmm. um do you feel this it's just just something that's been going through my mind lately we where where you know we we dabble in so many different worlds and we we listen to all kinds of music but do you mm-hmm. feel uh currently in today's music climate there's space for a brown rapper to come through and shake shit up and become a mainstay or is, are we still not there yet
2: no i think there's definitely space for it the the question is where is the the, the talent for it and the music for it you know you gotta you gotta connect with people the other thing i would say about all that is even in the framing of that is is why i take issue with a lot of this stuff it can't be here's somebody that's brown and brown people like them that's not going to work. You can't and you know, you can't just be the hottest rapper in the Bronx. Like you got to be the hottest rapper in the world. That's what the goal should be. And the thing I would just say in general, I just feel like with a lot of the artists and and this is I see this happening not just in the brown community but in all cultures where it's just like, yeah, like you know, I'm in the Latin trap or something like that and right. it's like but only the Hispanic people want to listen to it and it's like, well, but like I like Bad Bunny. I don't speak no Spanish, but I like Bad Bunny that's how you know his, his stuff is really connecting. That's when it's Absolutely. really hidden. So you need something where it's like people are connecting on a level like not, and I, and I go through this with a lot of my friends. They be they ask me that kind of question like, oh, NCO, you you in a rap game. You know about this stuff. Like who, who can do it? And I'm just like, yo, like it can't be somebody that we all just like because they're brown. Sure, That's not the reason. You got to like them because you like their record because you feel something when you hear their music. So the music got to come first. Everything else could come second. You know, if the I record is connecting, then that's, where that's where it always starts
0: Mm, right we've heard great records from a lot of a lot of people from that space but we haven't seen a mainstay and i'm i'm hoping it comes before uh (laughs) before my time is (laughs) up
2: (laughs) i mean you know it's, it's it's always possible and we live in you know in a time where the um the trajectory of artists has changed so much. Where like you could just you could really really blow up much faster than you used to be able to. Absolutely. And there's no cosign that you need like that. Like you could be the hottest dude on SoundCloud just off you know. Russ. Look at Russ. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Facts. So you man, know. we we uh we enjoyed
1: uh, you coming through, man, and we thank you so much.
2: No, thank you guys for having me. It's Appreciate pleasure. you, man.
1: Um. Before we go, we always try to end with words of inspiration for the youth and our <laughs> young listeners. Is there anything that you could leave us with?
2: Oh, man. Uh, yeah, register to vote and go vote in the midterms or all your fucking experience ain't going to save you.
1: Bars. Facts <laughs> and bars.
0: This is the Butter Chicken Podcast. It's your boy DJ Sharad And DJ Juicy. And where can they find us? Where can they find you, my bad? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yo, you can find me on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, at, at insulin, I-N-C-I-L-I-N. And Is your handle too. the same everywhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one has that handle. That's Because I spell it with a C-I, not with a S-U, cool. so that's the way to do it.
0: Yeah, say that one more time.
2: I-N-C-I-L-I-N, insulin.
0: Respect and love. This is the Butter Chicken Podcast. It's the Butter Chicken Boys, DJ Sherrod. And
1: DJ Juicy. Thank
0: you, you can find us on all podcasting platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and now... In India. In India, Hubhopper, baby. Hubhopper. Shout out to Hubhopper one time. Thank you so much. we we'll see you next week. Peace and love. <laughs>